The focus on the mental health of men in football intensifies by the week, even at finals time. The sad loss of Danny Frawley has jolted all of us into greater awareness and Spud represented only the tip of a giant iceberg. One of those wrestling with mental wellness in recent years is Brian Lake, a triple premiership player during the current decade, a man whose life has tumbled to the brink of disaster in recent years. Welcome, Brian. Thanks for having me, Mike. Before I knew better, I thought you were auditioning for the role of the lead in a, a biopic about Charlie Sheen. Your life seemed to be out of control. <coughs> Definitely, and that's, and that's what it felt like. Um, and that's probably how it's been betrayed and, and how it's looked that Brian's just lost control in the, in the last sort of 12, 24 months in, in life. And it's been embarrassing. It, it has been embarrassing, um, this period of, of time in my life. But it, it's gone back from a, a long time ago. It's probably... You stem back to 2011, um, but it was probably 2012... When I did the trade to, to Hawthorne, it was Christmas time at that stage back in Adelaide and um, <clears throat> drinking heavily over, over Christmas, I ended up um, breaking down to the wife. I was really struggling. Do you know why you were breaking down with Shannon? Was it about the marriage <clears throat> or it was about the big world? It was just about the big world. I, I didn't manage my mental health. I didn't manage relationships with, with friends and and really close family. Everything was just, for me, was just football. When things got tough for me on a personal level, I'd always go back to football. Football was, football was everything. And, and I felt safe in that environment. Um, so I felt safe, I, I was stable in that. Talking about it now with, with my psychologist, it, football was an exoskeleton for me. Um, it provided me stability for 15 years. Previous to that, I probably wasn't a stable person. Um, and, and that's what I've learnt over a period of time this last two or so years, um, going to different mental health hospitals and, and going overseas and learning more about um, the person I am. And yeah, Going back to that 2012, that's what I broke down. And for me, I had those periods probably in 2012 by myself. It wasn't until I broke down in, in front of my wife, Shannon, at that stage that she couldn't sit there um, any longer and watch it happen. She ended up calling Marty, who was my manager at that stage and, and, and really good friend, and, and told him that I needed help because I wasn't willing to put my hand up and say I needed it. Marty, um, Brian's introduced you. Marty Pask, you were a teammate of Brian's at the Bulldogs. You later became his manager and you've been his virtual guardian angel for the last four or five years. I guess my role has always just been to, to be there for him. Um, and I think that's the hardest thing is, um, you know, I, I heard Wayne Schwoss speak last week and I thought what he said was, was really profound. And, you know, just being there for someone and, and ensuring that you're there to pick up the phone or, or go see them or, or help them, um, you don't have all the answers. Um, and you're learning just as much as probably what they are. But in the end, you just want to be there and, and help them and assist them and, and put them in the right direction to ensure that they're getting the help they need. Brian, we've had you before in this chair with a different theme. You were jovial then, the, the joker. It's much different now. You're, you're a man with a heavy heart, it seems to me. <coughs> yeah, it's probably... You'd be that jovial person. It's probably... It's, it's an easy cover. When, when people, when tough questions get, get asked, you... You try to make light of it um, because you, you want to avoid 
those uncomfortable situations and being jovial, for me, I felt comfortable with that because I... <clears throat> it's not putting on an act, really. That I didn't want to show emotion. In your expression, it's it, the psychiatric term is self-soothing, is that right? Yeah. And, and that's sort of alcohol. Was It were drugs too? Yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah. it was, it was a, a period for a couple of months there, um, 2018, September, October, around that period of time. Um, I'd, I'd just come back from a, a TV show, Survivor. Um, it was a, I think it was 48 hours after that. The wife wanted to separate. I ran off like I do because I avoid pain. You avoid those uncomfortable feelings. Um, and that's what I've been doing for years is that avoidance and not accepting it and embracing it. So I ran off to, to Bali within... I got, we, we talked about it on Monday. I was in Bali Monday night. I, I spent, I reckon, four or five, six days there. Um, By yourself? By myself, yep. Uh, ran over there, did the accommodation while I was at the airport, did all that. And then I know Rick Holler and Shaw lives over there, so uh, I caught up with him after a couple of days, spending some time with myself. Had a few drinks, went out with some of the boys that, uh, that live over there, and they were having a, a camp over in um, a footy um, competition over in, mm. in Japan. They said, well, do you want to go? Mm. I said, oh, why not? Um, something... Good it idea. Seemed, it seemed enjoyment. <laughs> you could say self-soothing. It was just like, well, I've never done this before in my life where I've just spur of the moment, bang, I'm going to go over there. And I enjoyed it. Um, but with that, um, I wasn't in the right headspace. And, and you talk about self-soothing. It was the alcohol that makes you feel good for that split second that you're, you're having a few drinks. You, it takes that pain away. And it's self-soothing. If it's that, if it's alcohol, it's drugs... Even simple things like a mobile phone. You get home from work and stress. You jump on your phone and you take yourself out of that environment that you're in, that you're just... It's like an out-of-body of experience, really, that you're just not living in that moment. You're living in your phone or you're drunk or you're doing all those other things. Um, Let's and, stay and with Japan. You got into trouble in Japan. Ended yeah. up in jail. Uh, we'll get to... Marty, you can tell yeah. us how it unfolded. But you spent um, five or six days in jail and it could have been 21 after a brawl in a nightclub. Yeah, yeah. And that's... It was all caused from that running away, not, a, not facing the issues and, and the pain that I was, I was dealing with, with with a marriage breakup. Hindsight, you sit there and you work out these things. You don't run away from um, issues like that, but that's what I'd been doing for a long period of time, is avoiding uncomfortable situations. And once again, get drunk... Um, don't know what I'm doing, not in the right headspace before I had a, had a drink. And I got in an argument um, and all I can remember was it was about seven or eight police police officers grabbing me, throwing me in handcuffs and then the next thing I can, I'll wake up in a, in a jail cell in Japan. What happened before that? We had the argument um, after I had a few drinks and then, like anything, the alcohol heightens, if it's drugs, alcohol, heightens your emotions. That, you have a drink, if you're angry just before you're drinking, it's amazing, then you get, in a, you get angrier, you get angrier, and then you get in an altercation. So you bopped the bloke, didn't you? Yeah, I did. Yeah. I, um, obviously, I, I denied it at that stage because I, I couldn't quite remember uh, what had happened, but seeing the, the footage on it, um, yeah, I did punch him. So, Marty, you're back in Australia. Department of Foreign Affairs rings. It's an international incident, isn't it? It is, yeah. And, look, I mean... That, a, lot, a lot of moving parts are happening at that stage. Obviously, the, the media are all over it. And 
I guess the hardest thing for me is is making sure that you know Brian was okay. Um, and in those environments and situations, you're dealing with a foreign law and a different law and a different government. So um, Brian, at this stage, was without his medication. He was in a cell. Um, we didn't know what was going on and um, and didn't know the story. So uh, for mine, you know, I, I was always concerned because going back to 2012 when um, I first got notified, um, you know, when Brian came to me with, with these issues um, and then he's in a cell um, on the other side of the world and, and I knew he wouldn't be in a good headspace um, to begin with uh, because he'd just come back from Survivor and within two days he's, um, he's off and, and overseas again. Um, so I thought it was important to, to obviously get there and, and be there for him and, and to obviously help him through that. Um, I guess that had been my role for the last few years with him. Julie um, Bishop ring you? Uh, she didn't personally, um, but uh, I got a call from her office um, or, or, the, or, or the office in Canberra at the time and, and said that, um, you know, you've got a friend over, overseas at the moment and um, he needs some help. And, um, and for me, that was probably the real key moment in Brian um, where I really started to see that, yeah, there were some underlying issues and, and they were starting to bubble away at the surface and, and how we had to get a plan together and, and look after him and, and try and help him. Um, but, you know, it was, a, it was a hard sort of four or five days trying to get him out of there um, and obviously, you know, communicating um, with his family back in Australia as to what was going on because a, a lot of people were worried about him. Brian, is this, and I hope it's not, but is it humiliating for you to be talking on national telly about the, the way your life has sort of spiralled out of control? It is. And as soon as you, you put my name into a Google search, the, the first couple of pages are all this that's happened in the, in the last two years. Not about the good stuff that you've been able to do. It's, it's these things where... That at the stage, I, when I was in the jail cell, so it just didn't didn't worry me. I just had so much mm. other things in my mind. I'm sitting on lying on a floor in, in a Japan jail, and it didn't didn't hurt. It just didn't worry me because of these other issues that were just overtaking my overtaking my body, overtaking my mind. That laying in a jail cell, so I just didn't comprehend what was what sort of trouble I was in. How scary was it for you, Marty? You were a detached observer. Uh, well, more recently, really scared. Um, you know, when he um, obviously came back from Japan, um, I coordinated with the Players Association, who were really, really good in this um, space, to, to get him somewhere, um, to, to help him with some of the areas that um, Brian's talking about in terms of, you know, his outlets, which were alcohol, um, a short time with, with drugs, um, and obviously trying to get the right sort of prescribed medication and, and a support network around him. So we felt that there was a situation or rather a, a facility in, in Thailand. Um, so we, we sent him there um, where he spent a, a, a good amount of time just to get away and, and lock himself away from everything. Um, so um, all the reports were good when he came back. Um, and then, um, you know, unfortunately he had a pretty major sort of slip up um, shortly after when, when he came back. What was that? Uh, I was driving along uh, to work just a, on a Monday morning. I got a call at about 8.30 in the morning. Um, and uh, um, I don't know how they got my number. Um, I, I think it might have been um, in your phone or, or something along those lines. But, um, you know, the, the, the doctor at the um, 
hospital had said that uh, you've got a friend in here and uh, he's under surveillance and he's severely medicated and he's um, talking talking about harming himself. And, you know, that, that was sort of a, a, an instant sort of moment there where I thought myself, I'm like, well, you know, what, what do I do now? Um, and, um, you know, fortunately enough, um, uh, through the previous experiences with the Players Association, there was a great contact in there in, in Matt McGregor at the Players Association and I rang him straight away and um, organised a, um, a facility for him here in Melbourne to get to. And That's went, a rehab centre? It was a rehab centre and when I got him um, from the hospital, I thought, yeah, that, that's about his, his lowest point um, and that drive over um, from, from the hospital um, over the Westgate Bridge to the other side of town to, to drive him was, was about as concerned I'd, I'd been for him through the whole journey where he was, um, he was pretty low at that point. Um, How were you, Brian? Do you remember that, do you remember that drive? <coughs> yeah, brief, yeah. It's, it's uncomfortable. And, and just listening to it, it's... Yeah, it's tough. I know it's tough. I admire your, your, your bravery in, in, in fronting this stuff, but I think you are at a point that you want to get better, don't you? And you um, did, the, did Danny's situation have a big impact on you? <coughs> yeah, listen to his words. And I, I fought it since I started medication about that I was okay. <coughs> If I was chopping and changing medication because the side effects I was having with some of them, I'd have a good two or three months that I was feeling good. I thought, well, I probably don't need to take him now. I'm back on track. I'm back to normal, Brian, and I'll be okay. Don't take medication for three or four days. Get to the club. The side effects are coming off straight away. <coughs> Dizzy, can't focus, and, and I've missed training sessions from it. And, is this at the Bulldogs or at Hawthorne? At, at Hawthorne. Mm. I'd, miss, I'd missed probably uh, probably three or four from in that three-year period where I thought I was OK. And it even happened one of the game days. I was, I was interstate and I didn't take my medication with me and I, I struggled through the game where I couldn't focus, blurry vision, agitated, because I thought, no, I'm, I'm OK. And I battled with that for five or six years and... And what I felt was the medication was just a band-aid. was just to try to get me level. But the, the issues I was dealing with were still there, the underlying issues that I still had to deal with. Um, understanding, <clears throat> I guess, myself, um, <laughs> accepting that I've got an issue. It's, and it hadn't been until probably three or four months ago, probably three months ago, that I've accepted it finally. That I, I need help, and since then, seeing a psychologist every fortnight, paying attention more to to sleep, to um, just routine and structure, and, and that's what I rebelled from. Since I finished football, I just thought, well, I've had, to, I've been forced to do this. I'm forced to be here at this time, do this, do that. But in hindsight, I needed that. That's what kept mm. me sane for a long period of time. It was only until that was taken away. I thought, no, I'm OK. But now realising that, Jesus, wish I'd started doing this a little bit earlier. Instead of just thinking that the medication was going to do everything, I needed to speak to someone. Marty, did you find, Brian, 
at home one night, one day, um, after a heavy drinking session? No, I didn't. Um, that, that, that's a good friend of ours, uh, Matthew Sutton. Um, and, you know, Matt and his family were fantastic through this as well. And, look, we, we, our whole role was just to try what Brian's talking about. That was just to get to him and tell him that, you know, we, we cared about him and, you know, we're... You know, we're, we're here for you. And, you know, Matt and myself had spent a lot of time by his bed and um, tried to help him and, and put him on the, on the, on the straight um, as much as we could. But that particular incident, um, yeah, I, it was a Friday night and, um, and that, was, that was that phone call that you fear. Um, and it was Matt and it was about sort of 10 o'clock at night on a Friday night and, and you just knew that, yeah, that, that night was going to be a tough night. And... Um, you know, Brian had obviously um, got himself in a, in a state um, and, you know, again, um, you know, we, we had to put him back into, into the facility and, and help him and, um, and I think that that was, that was just about the rock bottom that, you know, looking back on reflection that, you know, Brian needed to really start looking at, you know, what was going on and a lot of these things that he's talking about, it's very hard, it's very hard to communicate with someone when they're feeling those emotions. Brian, I see you now and, and we, all, we bleed for you, mate, I do. And, and people at home will be. But when you came into Fox today, it was like you were coming home. Everyone wanted to say hello to you and talk and you were the old Brian Lake. You, you notice the contrast? I mean, they, they care, don't they? Yeah, definitely. And it's, it feels good when... Tough times, yeah. You definitely do. It's a time to sort out. It's a filter of friends, really, of, of who really cares. And I've had friends in this period of time probably just found it too hard. Like Brian's, Brian's this, Brian's that. Um, I'm not going to deal with this crap. It's just too hard. And I've lost a lot of friends through it. Well, I don't, this is, might be a dagger to the heart, but you and Adam Cooney were bosoms. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was as if you were joined at the yeah. hip. You're no longer friendly with Adam, are you? No, that's that's yeah, that's that relationship's been yeah fractured through. Is that over the girls? <coughs> yeah, yeah, and yeah, I, and like anything, if you, if you get a text and they say you're okay, what you do normally, yeah, I'm fine. Put a thumb up emoji, and you try to avoid it, but. I guess what you find is the, the people that care the most won't just accept that emoji. They will ask you again. They'll keep pestering you. Um, some people didn't do that. If that was Adam, probably. Um, and, yeah, probably the girls probably make a, a, a big thing with that as well, that when there's a relationship breakup, there's people go to one side, people go to the other. Unfortunately, um, Adam and, and his wife went, went, went with the wife and, and I just felt hurt, probably betrayed by that as well, that I was hoping that I had more friends that would support me. Probably at that stage I didn't care because I just thought I was so enthralled in what was happening and what I needed. I didn't really care about anyone else. I just wanted answers and I wanted um, <coughs> results. Um, and it hurts. And... But that's, that's what happens in tough times. You, you sort out 
your really good friends and probably the people that really care about you. When I was, I guess, struggling <clears throat> with the thoughts and, and struggling with sleep, that I did go to the doctors and, and get sleeping medication to, to help me get into a sleeping pattern. If it's sleeping at 11, waking up at 7, because the sleep is the most important thing. If you're tired, you're grumpy, that leads into your, your bad food choices. Um, you then look for higher fat content or higher sugar mm. because you need to try to lift yourself up. You have that coffee with two sugars. Um, so sleep is, is number one. Sleep is everything. Um, so I had sleeping pills prescribed to me and it was that, that Friday night, I was sitting in the movie room, just having a glass of red, had a, had a cup of um, sleeping pills to <coughs> help me get to sleep that night. But then I got caught texting um, Shannon at that stage and going on about what was happening and started drinking a little bit more red and going out and grabbing a couple more pills. And I, I still don't know why. All I remember was waking up in the hospital. Hmm. You want to have a breather? Mm -hmm. mm. Yeah. Can you finish that story? Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I, w I woke up in, in hospital and not knowing how I got there and my brother come picked me up in the, uh, in the morning and obviously I was still obviously out at days and <clears throat> Marty had been speaking to him throughout, obviously, the night. Um, and brother took me back to the, to the hospital um, straight away where I spent another sort of 10 days there. So, you know, I've been probably, probably 20 or 30 sleeping pills that I took at that stage and looking at it now, probably what saved me was one, my stepson was there and probably with the, I'd end up drinking three bottles of red, which what I was told was help because I just threw everything up, which in the ambulance um, when it arrived, so... Still, I don't know. Don't know what I was doing. What, with the tablets, when you were pumping them in, did you have anything in your mind about? I, I can't. From what, when I started uh, and watching the movie, I, there was a point that I just couldn't remember what I was doing, and I remember texting uh, a couple of times. Then everything just went blank. Texting who? Uh, my wife at that yeah. stage. Um, so then the next sort of 16 hours were just, I can't remember. And it's just filling in, people filling in blanks and um, yeah, probably haven't probably dealt too much with 
what I was thinking or trying to do at that stage. Um, have you been able to... Um, marriage breakups, and I'm yeah. talking, I have experienced this. Um, have you been able to, to move on or are you still... Is the disintegration of the marriage still weighing on you? It weighed heavily on me. It's, it's correlation of everything in, it seemed in, in one period of time. When I got back from, from Japan, um, Mum passed away in August. So in July, the marriage issue, then Mum passing away, then... Um, it, it, it just felt like my whole life was just unravelling and I couldn't control any of this. These things... I'd been able to control most of my life for a long period of time, but these things, it was just, I couldn't understand why I couldn't... I couldn't control it. And that's where the fear come in. And those behaviours come in, those unhealthy behaviours of finding out what she's doing, checking through Facebook and trying to put this jigsaw puzzle together that I thought was in my head, that I just needed, needed answers. Um, and it... It was just that me trying to hold on to something mm. that I thought I needed because I was too worried about what life would be like without it. But in hindsight, and that's what I've learnt in that last stint in hospital, is just that final word of acceptance. Accepting that I can't control that. Accepting that I'm going to have pain. Um, that... I can't avoid that all the time. You can't avoid pain. It's inevitable, inevitable that you're going to experience that. You've got to be able to deal with it. And, um, and that's what I finally realised and being able to move on from there is... And, Have you moved uh, on? It's... I'm broken and I, I find I'm still broken. But it's... Learning... Understanding what I've learnt and putting it into, into practice. So the sleep thing, the 11 to 7 getting up early, um, spending time on my mental health. I've actually, which is weird, I've put a whiteboard up in my room of just thoughts and um, that I can see. So you have all these thoughts and things in your head, but to make more sense of it is to get it out. If it's writing it on a, on a, on a piece of paper or having a journal, for me it's having a whiteboard at home. If it's trigger words up in that whiteboard, as soon as I wake up, I see it. As soon as I go to bed... I'll see it sitting there. In a, in a word, Marty, is he getting better? Yeah, yeah, look, he is. And um, I, I think that just the, the ability for him to, to tell the story um, and, you know, is, is a lot about the recovery and, and owning it um, and accepting it um, and understanding, I guess, um, the ripple effect that it potentially has had um, and, and also just drilling down into what actually the main issues are. And I think that he's been able to do that. And, you know, it's, it's a hard thing. And, and I think I, the amount of things I've learnt through this process too is that you never quite... You, you haven't healed or you haven't conquered it. And I think that that's where a lot of people have got themselves into trouble. And I've heard Brian talk about it. I've heard others speak about the same thing. And it's, it's about routine. It's about structure. It's about understanding the things that you need to be doing to make sure. And I think that now, as a society, I think that we're really starting to understand it. And, you know, I'm proud of the fact that, um, you know, he's, he's put his hand up, um, he's getting help, and, you know, I'm just so glad that, 
you know, starting to get our friend back and, uh, and our mate back, and, and that's the most important thing. Brian, you've been exceptionally brave. I mean, I, I can almost join you in the tears, mate. I just admire the, your willingness to talk about your story. Wayne Swash uh, would be very proud of you, mate. You've, um, I think this is going to have a huge impact on people who are vulnerable in the community, uh, and thank you for trusting me with it. Thank you, Bob. This has been a Fox Sports production.